I want to talk to you today from the words of Jesus and some kind of really important words. So let's go to Matthew. Let's, we'll do two passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 6 and look at verse 19. Get it in your Bible or on your device. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. But I want to point out these are the words of Jesus. It's Jesus is saying this. Now I know that all Scripture is inspired but it's good to hear our master's words, isn't it? Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Oh, I wonder what they are like. I'm going to tell you later on. Treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. Please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And again, Jesus' words... And we'll read uh, from chapter 16, and we'll look from verse 9. Luke chapter 16, and we'll look from verse 9. Is that okay, everyone? Let's try and look at his word today. Again, let me point out to you, these are Jesus' words. Jesus speaking, he says, I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What on earth does that mean? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. But who's ever dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? I wonder if the question can form in your mind, Lord Jesus, what are true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, this is a really key verse coming up, so stay with me. No one. Who does he mean when he says no one? It means everyone. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. Now the Pharisees who loved money, heard all that he was saying, and they were sneering at Jesus, and he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Have you, I'm going to talk about breaking the spirit of mammon today, but have you ever noticed, sometimes there's a spirit behind 
something or an attitude behind something. Have you ever heard this phrase? Oh, that person, they're a self-made man or a self-made woman. Have you ever heard that phrase? There's something that they've done for themselves. Now, now, hear me rightly, I'm not knocking good entrepreneurship or, or hard work or, or people who do the best and pull themselves up. I mean, those of you who've got a university degree and you've got a first, well done on you. But you needed a lecturer and you needed some tutors to help you get that degree. Don't you agree? You know, that we all need somebody to get us along. And sometimes when we say, I am a self-made man or something, we forget the team that it's taken to get us where we need to be. And one of the things or a spirit behind the the self-made or the high achievers sometimes can be, and, and bless you if you're a high achiever, keep achieving high, but it's a kind of spirit sometimes that says, I don't need anyone. I, I don't need that. Have you ever seen The Apprentice with Lord Sugar, Alan Sugar? Anybody seen that? You know, I mean, I look at that and sometimes think, whoo, I wouldn't do that. And, you know, but having said that, I'm a bit older, so, you know, they're young people, aren't they? But can I say, say this to you, that if that's what young people feel, the way to getting ahead is getting ahead, that's not the way to get ahead in this cutthroat manner of which they operate that show. We're going to learn that such an attitude, this kind of sense of I don't need anyone, can develop into something quite dangerous for us, that we could actually call it a motivating spirit or a motivating attitude. The Bible often teaches that there are underlying attitudes behind behavior. And, and you know that, uh, don't you? That, that some things can, spirit, can, can be a spirit behind things. Like, for instance, there can be a spirit of kindness, can't there? Uh, how many of you heard of the fruit of the spirit, one of which is kindness? And you can look at some people and say, well, they're really kind, aren't they? Or they're, they're enthusiastic. We can also have a bitter spirit. You know, bitterness comes from a, a, a mixture of anger and hurt. And the hurt isn't healed and the anger isn't dealt with. So it, it mixes together and it forms bitterness. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 says, Don't let a bitter root grow up in you. And bitterness will poison even the lovely side of your personality. So give your hurts to Jesus Give your disappointments to him. Give your anger to him because bitterness will only be the result. But bitterness can be an attitude, can't it, that filters everything. We are told that we are to made, be made new in the attitudes of our minds, that, that our attitudes are to become new. We are told not to have a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind in 1 Timothy 1 verse 7, aren't we? We're told that, that, that we can, we've got to have our minds renewed. The scripture tells us that there's a spirit in the world. A motivation in the world called the Antichrist spirit. And that we are to resist that. And that spirit resists everything of Christ. We, have you ever walked into a place and you think, Whoa, it's electric in here. It's a great atmosphere. Have you, maybe you felt that today. Maybe you've sensed today that the Lord's with us. Sometimes you can walk into a place and it's a bad atmosphere. And you think, oh, what's happened? 
Are you quite intuitive like that? The idea of a motivating spirit running in the background is quite common for us. We all sense that, don't we? And today, I'm going to examine a spirit or a motivation, you could call it an attitude, that we've all been exposed to. And we all will have to deal with this spirit. But it's the only place, now hear me, this is the only place where Jesus says that you cannot serve that spirit and God. This is so important that we hear this. Because we are so used to serving God in the mix of things, aren't we all? I mean, we don't think our society's quite perfect, do we? we? We get on with it in the midst of the mix of what we're dealing with. Don't you wish that all of our government were on fire Christians and that they were really going for it in Jesus? Would you, would you not agree that that would be a great way of li- running our country? But yet we put up with some things, don't we? We put up with some things of, of how perhaps the, the way that marriage is, is seen on the TV and, the, uh, and the, we're trying to defend that a little bit, but we're serving in the mix of the world being not quite where we want it to be. Jesus even told a parable, didn't he? Do you remember that parable where he said the wheat and the weeds? Or the, you, might, you might describe it as the wheat and the tares. That, that in the mix of things, there are some very good people that grow up and there are some evil people that grow up. And, and Jesus actually says, you're going to have to put up with that. But here in this scripture, even though we operate with evil side by side, but here it's really important that you see the Jesus words that we realize that Jesus taught you cannot mix these things. That actually you can't have a bit of this and a bit of the other. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. There has to be a separation here. And this is why every one of us needs to break the influence of mammon in our lives. Because it's the only place where Jesus makes such a strong comment. So I'm going to ask you three questions today, and that will be the rest of the message. Three important questions, because Jesus makes this strong contrast. Number one, the question is, uh, what is meant by mammon? Number two, is money evil? And number three, what should I do with my money? Now, when a pastor always says, here's my three points, and if it's, if it's 50 minutes in and he's only on point two, you know you've got some digging in to do. Now, you'll be able to tell how far along we are by following those three points. So, number one, what is meant by mammon? Because we want to break this motivating spirit of mammon. Now, the word mammon is used just four times in the New Testament. It's often translated money, actually, by some translations. And the word mammon comes from an Aramaic uh, Syrian root, and it means riches. Uh, It's more than just money. It means the whole process of gaining or getting riches. It was from the root meaning of the God of riches from a, a, a Babylonian 
uh, culture. And so the Babylonian meaning comes out of this account from, uh, does anybody remember the Tower of Babel uh, in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 11, where, which it means, and the Tower of Babel means sown in confusion. And the whole emphasis of the story of the Tower of Babel is that those people thought that they could do everything for themselves. They even thought they could get to heaven by themselves and they wouldn't need God. They, we, they were saying, we can do everything on our own. And the spirit of mammon is this sense of self-sufficiency, that I have my own riches, I don't need anything. The spirit of mammon is that, what it does is it substitutes the need of God for trust in riches. And this is why we must break it. Because reliance on money and bringing our security by money comes from this spirit that sets itself up against God that says, don't trust in God, trust in me. This is why tithing is a very healthy practice because it breaks your trust on money and breaks your self-sufficiency. It breaks this spirit in our lives or puts this spirit out of our lives. The practice of tithing blesses and protects you from the attitude of slavery. Because I want you to know something, that what mammon does is offer you all the things that we really should be asking God for, particularly around issues of security. And therefore, what it does is it sets itself up against God. And when Jesus says you cannot serve mammon, and serve God, notice something. Mammon wants to be served. It's not neutral. It's not something that say, oh, you can have a bit of Jesus, and, but you can have a bit of riches and, and, you know, just mix and match. No, mammon is always looking for servants. Riches and that spirit of self-sufficiency will always say, I want to be your boss. I want to rule you. Do what you do because you're following me and trusting me. And this is why we have to be very careful with any sort of prosperity gospel. I know that perhaps this has been taught a lot in our nation. And what I mean by that is the give so that you can get message. That actually that you can give your money and God will just keep returning to you. And, you know, give you a Rolex as well. I don't know why I'm looking at my one. My watch is not, just to say, not a Rolex, okay? Apple Watch. Annoying Apple Watch at many times. But that message, that kind of give-to-get message, you know what it does? It actually works selfishness into your life. It works it so that when you buy into the prosperity message, you become loyal to it. And you begin actually to serve it. I've seen Christians, they've got formulas in their minds saying, oh yeah, if I do this, God will do this. 
And they begin to serve it. And when it doesn't work out, they begin to despise God. Because there are times, everyone, when God will put you in lean times so that you can lean on him. Now, for those of you in second language, I'm doing a play on words, but sometimes God puts you in the wilderness so that you can find him there. People in the prosperity message, sometimes they're loyal to mammon, and mammon wants to take the place of God. Make no mistake about it, only God can give you what God promises to give you. Only God can do that. In fact, in the end times, in the book of Revelation, uh, the church at Laodicea, uh, Jesus speaking to his church said this, you say I'm rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. See, that's the spirit of mammon. I don't need a thing. I've got what I need. I built it. I have it. Some of you really like to, you know, who's that lady? You know, she sings, I'm a survivor. You know, who's that? You know, Beyonce is it or something. And what was that, you know, Independence Day song? You know, I got my car, I bought it, I don't need no man, I sold it, I need, you know, all of that stuff. <laughs> Here's my shoes, I bought it, Here's my shirt, I got it. You know, that kind of spirit. And lots of you ladies were like, oh, the empowerment, the empowerment, the empowerment. But actually, that's the spirit of mammon. I don't need anybody else. I can buy my own car. I don't need no man to buy me no car. I got my car. Have you said that? And you know, there is a truth in that. There's a truth about it. But when it becomes a, a condition and a motivating thing about your heart where you say, I don't need anything, then you fall into the latency in church where Jesus says, but you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, what mammon does, it tries to rule. In the end times, for those of you who like prophecy, there's going to be a time when, when the spirit of the Antichrist wants to control all buying and selling. It's a real spirit about the end of the age, that this control spirit of, of, by, of controlling everything that you have economically. You see, this is how mammon operates. It does two things. It offers security and it says, serve me. And that's why we need to break it. And that's why you cannot serve God and the God of riches. Because our security, our need for security, will always be tempted. And, and the enemy will always threaten your security. If you do that, then you, you won't be safe. We're tempted to say, don't we, if only I had more money, I could help more people. Have you ever said that? I don't know whether you have. I've said that sometimes. But I want you to know over my experience in life, people help people. That actually, some people can have all the money in the world, but they don't help anybody. People help people more than money does. Jesus never said it to anybody. The lepers didn't say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Make me rich. They said, heal me. They weren't bothered about the money. And in a sense, we have got to say, Jesus never offered people more money. Amen, anybody? 
Sometimes we even contrast the thought, if we, if we had money, we wouldn't need God. And God will always keep you in a place where you need him. There's always a contest. There's always a, a struggle. You know what? If money could fix all of your problems, you haven't got real problems. Because God is the only one that can fix real problems. Somebody give the Lord a clap offering. You're going to need God to fix your problems. And that's not against anybody who might be doing well or what have you. You just can't serve it. You have to always keep it under God's hands. So the spirit of mammon is the spirit of self-sufficiency and the spirit that sets itself up against God and it always asks you to serve it. Let's ask our second question. Is money evil? If mammon is a spirit, then it can talk. If mammon can rest on your money, I wonder what spirit is resting on your money. It'll either be the spirit of God, either God's got your money, or the spirit of mammon has got your money. Because actually, let me be really clear, it can't be a mix. It can't be a little bit, oh, there's a little bit of a mammon there, but mostly it's mostly God. You've got to give it all to God and let that be his, because it cannot be a mix. Because money is not evil. Let's, let's let the scripture answer that question. You know this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That, that love of it, that motivation of it, that's the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money. You see, that's a spirit too. That eagerness to say, I need it, I need it, I need it. You need God. If you're a guest here, your biggest need in your life, if you're checking out Christianity, and, and once again you've come to a church and said, oh no, they're talking about money again. They must want my money. We don't want your money. If, if you, if you uh, give because you think we just want it, please keep your money. Please do that. But people who are eager for money, that's a spirit behind it. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith. They haven't left the faith in one big jump, but bit by bit they have wandered away. And they look at themselves and they think, oh, I used to do that, I used to feel that, I used to feel really enthusiastic about that, I used to love it when people used to say, let's do that, let's do that. And then actually they look at themselves in the past and go, oh, I'm not like that anymore because I'm not really enthusiastic anymore. I couldn't really give two hoots anymore. Uh, by the way, two hoots is from the Greek, not to care. First <laughs> Timothy chapter six, verse 10 says it this way. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and they pierce themselves with many griefs. Here it's really clear that it's the desires around money, not money itself. There is a very significant use of money that we can gain if we gain if we get this right. Now I want you to all turn back to Luke chapter 16 verse 19. 
says this. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. We've used this scripture and we basically think that it means use your money to make friends and they will look after you when you're in trouble. That's what we think that scripture means. Just leave it up on the screen for us for a minute. Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You see, what this scripture is talking about is the friends that you will have in eternity when you have used your money to bless other souls. When you die, sorry to give you that news, by the way, on a Sunday morning that you will die at some point. Hopefully not today, but at some point, okay? Um, when you die and you are in eternal dwellings, you will be welcomed by many, many friends because you've used your money to bless many people. There'll be people who you don't know that what you gave helped them and blessed them. You see, what this scripture is teaching is you can convert your money into people and souls that can go into the kingdom. Let me show you a way in which you have converted your money. You know that Kensington Temple, you have given to a couple in Italy called Claudio, uh, and uh, Claudio and his wife there, Selina. I'm looking at Ben to give me the proper name. What's Claudio's wife's name? Somebody shout it out. Serena. Selina. Anyway, Claudio. Hang on, hang on. I haven't told you the video yet. Hold it, team. So, oh, they're doing it anyway. Okay. Do that again. I was just queuing it up. Claudio moved his church to a, another city called Aviento. And we helped them get a building and start an uh, outreach again. And uh, we also have given money to, uh, to help a church in Germany, which is part of Marcelo's network and a KT church plant called Nuvo Tempo in Germany. I want to show you that what your money is being used for, but actually the results of your money, because the lady you were about to see get baptized was in prison. Tech team, could you now cue the video? <laughs> Turn the sound off. Come on, somebody give the Lord a clap offering for change life. I love this. That's me in the background going, hey, hey, by the way. So this is our church in Germany. Uh, lots of young people. Nobody can say no. And that lady in the white trousers there, that's the pastor. She's got a lot of better moves than I have, actually. Stop agreeing with that, Carol. That's it. So this is our church there. Uh, that's me, by the way. Be 
see, do I want you to notice the guy in the red shirt? Oh, that's good, isn't it? Now, the guy in the red shirt on the front row is a footballer, second time in church, and coming to Jesus. You see, how many of you know Italians? How many of you know some Italian people? Uh, let me ask you another way. How many of you don't know any Italian people personally? Just raise your hand. If you don't know any Italian people, raise your hand straight up. You see, but your money is converting Italian people. See, that's how it works. That's what that scripture means is. There's going to be some Italian people who are waiting for you in heaven and say, thank you so much for giving. I was saved because you gave and they could do an outreach. Amen? There's going to be some German people. Now, let me tell you about our church there in Bad Kreuznach. It's not like here where, you know, if you don't like where I preach, you can go down the street and there's lots of great churches around here. You know, you might have a list of them. I don't know. You might be a church hopper. Well, hop in and stay in, okay? I don't know what you are. But it's not like here. Our church there in Bad Kreisnock, it's the only Pentecostal church, not just in the city, in the region. It's the only Pentecostal church. So your money is, is pioneering something where Brazilian people are meeting, but it's not just Brazilian people. Now the Germans have started to come to the Brazilian church so that they now have to preach in German because the Germans are now getting saved. Isn't that amazing? Your money. You see, what we need to do is take unrighteous mammon and redeem it and use it for the eternal kingdom. When you die... Let's see who welcomes you into heaven. I know there'll be lots of Sunday school teachers, and there'll be lots of, when you, you'll probably die before the children. Sorry, I don't want to get into this conversation really. But you'll be there, and there'll be lots of people coming and saying, Thank you for being so faithful. When Kathy and I went to a church in Letchworth, we took a pay cut to go there because we felt it was the right thing to do. When we went to Birmingham, Kathy gave up her salary because it was the right thing to do. You see, you can't let things rule you. God takes your money and turns it to souls. I wonder if you can know that, hear that, receive that. So what is mammon? It's self-sufficiency. Is money evil? No. Let's turn it for souls. Last question, what should I do with my money? And I'm going to just come into land. The simple answer is to this, that you should be a good steward with your money. Budgeting, saving, earning, spending, and tithing, giving. Budgeting, saving, earning, spending, tithing, giving. Be a steward of your money. You might say, I don't have the money to listen to these messages, Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark, I can't wait till you've moved on from this. I understand that. And if you're a guest here today, please, we, we don't want your money. 
But unless you steward your money well, God cannot bless you fully. When you prove faithful with your money, whoever can be trusted with very little, Jesus said, can be trusted with much. And who's dishonest with very little will be also dishonest with much. Sometimes some of us think, I wonder why God isn't blessing me. And because God's saying, I'm not sure I can trust you with it yet. Remember in Matthew chapter 25, it used to bug, bug me for years that the man who didn't have many talents, even the talent that he had was taken away from him and given it to the one with the most. And it's a principle in God that God blesses those who he can trust. The one who has much will be much through good stewardship. Here's a principle. Good stewards get more. Because good stewards, it doesn't hold them. Good stewards get more. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, Jesus says, who will give you property of your own? Have you thought that we are just handling things for God? This includes our tithes, obviously. But how will we get what we need until we're trustworthy with the trust that's been given to us. It's really important that you say to yourself, God, little or more, I'm going to be trustworthy with it. Luke chapter 16, verse 11. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? What are true riches? Souls. People last forever. How many of you pray for revival? You pray often. God bless you, man. I pray for revival, but why would God give us a harvest of people with their brokenness, with their hearts, with their issues, with their lives, with their dreams, their destinies? Why would he give us so many precious people if we cannot be trusted with what we have? Why would God do that? You see, if the church has more money, sure, we can do more ministry and we can reach more people, but it takes people to reach people. It will always take people to reach people. So if you are not a high earner or you think, well, you know, Pastor Mark, I can't be as important as somebody else. Of course you can. It takes people to reach people. Your giving, let me just tell you it straight. Your giving plunders hell. And I'm not embarrassed ever as a pastor to ask people to tithe because I know it breaks things, it protects things, it provides things. Please, I will never be embarrassed to ask you to be good about your money because I know that it breaks things. In fact, it means I'm actually serving you. I will never be shamefaced talking about money in front of you because I'm serving you to release this wicked spirit of the age where it seems that the only thing we can go for is a car, a house, a mortgage, and a computer, and maybe a holiday. My life is much more valuable than that. How about yours? So, 
Why would God give us precious, true riches of people? You know, when I, I've got two lovely daughters. One's named Lydia, first European Christian. One's named Leah, the one that produced the most uh, of the tribes of Israel. That's why we named them, even though Leah's the second, produced the most. Okay, that's why we named them. Lydia's lovely, Leah's lovely. I love them with my life. I really do. But those two daughters of mine now love other men more than they love me. <laughs> I'm absolutely devastated about it. I need healing. Why would I give my two beautiful, lovely daughters who really should be on the front of Vogue magazine every week, why would I give them to men who are going to spend their money and their money and not treat them good? Why would I do that? Now, I didn't have much choice about it because as a dad, we're in love. But, you know, that was another issue. But before my daughters got married, I sat down with my two sons-in-law and we talked about money. And I said, do you budget? Do you save? Do you give? And they both had to convince me that they did that because I was giving them my most precious commodity. There are some dads in the place going, oh no, I could never do that. Do it. Why would God bless your life with souls and love if you can't be trustworthy with what you've got? 